I don't know how many of you, uh, I, a lot of you here, more than the average church, uh, have traveled cross-culturally. Cross, let me say that. Let me talk again. Okay. You've had cross-cultural experiences. You've been to different countries. You've traveled a lot. You've done that. This is a very unusual community here at Great Oaks because of Caterpillar as much as anything else. Okay. Uh, I say that because I came from a different background. Um, my dad was a factory worker at General Electric. Uh, we were a blue-collar family. Uh, we went to a blue-collar church. No one traveled there. Matter of fact, the first time I ever got on an airplane was when I was 19 years old. And I was going to go to, uh, the, I was in Roanoke, Virginia, and that's in southeast, southeast Virginia. And uh, we were going to go, I was working for an a, a, a office supply place. And I got to fly all the way from there to Baltimore. You know, it was like a whoop, you know, you're there. It's kind of like flying from here to Chicago. It doesn't take you any time at all. By the time you're up in there, you go back down. That was my first, and that wasn't really a cross-cultural experience. It kind of was because the Roanoke Valley is kind of like its own little place. And uh, Baltimore is a little bit different, but it wasn't that much difference. But it really didn't get to travel internationally until I came here, and that's actually only about three years ago. Got to go overseas to go to Africa and see some stuff. Uh, my cross-cultural experience, though, was really in a small group. Um, many years ago in the church I was at before I came here, I had a small group. For, my wife and I were in a small group we hosted for several years, and it was kind of an interesting small group because we drew people, for some reason, in our church from uh, several different countries. And so in my small group, I had people from Colombia, and that's not South Carolina, by the way, Colombia, South America. We had people for, from uh, Venezuela. We had people from Dominican Republic. And we actually had a Haitian in our group one time as well. So we had this kind of like cross-cultural group. It was interesting because a lot of them didn't even speak English very well. And uh, sometimes in our group, we had translators. Uh, one person would translate for somebody else who was new in the group and was just learning English. But I learned some things about people that there were similarities and differences as well. But I've always been interested in people that come from different cultures. Particularly, I've talked to a lot of you that have been to places uh, and, and had experiences. Um, for instance, I was talking to a person a couple of years ago that had been to Northern Ireland. And they were sharing with me, I, and I'm a history buff, I love history, I love to read stuff about history, and I, was, I knew about the, 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 the uh, problems that had been in there for years and years and years between Catholics and Protestants. And um, one person told me they had been to one of the cities, I don't know which one it was in Northern Ireland, uh, and the walls actually had suicide bomber walls around them with security checkpoints in the city between the Catholic and the, and the uh, Protestant sections. Um, I know I talked to somebody else that had been to South Africa, and actually one of our uh, members here, uh, she grew up uh, in South Africa on the mission field, and uh, I learned that many of the blacks live in very poor townships surrounded by enormous walls there. And... Um, and some of them have uh, often white communities nearby that are very affluent. And, and uh, some of these are surrounded by walls and barbed wire with armed guards to even get into neighborhoods. That's what happens there. And, and I know some of you have been to Israel, uh, and you've been there, and you may have been to certain cities, Jerusalem and other cities. And I've talked to many people that have been there. And uh, basically, there's walls everywhere there uh, between the different quarters of the city and different places like that. They're very divided between the, the Christian quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Jewish quarter, different places there. And, and the reality is, is there's dividing walls to protect people from getting, uh, having problems with each other. It's interesting when I think about that, what the scripture we're going to look at today, because what is interesting is that the physical realities often illustrate spiritual, spiritual realities that we see when we see bar barriers between people, they represent spiritual barriers as well. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about today in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11 today. We're going to look at the last half of the chapter uh, of Ephesians chapter 2. 
And we've been talking about the book of Ephesians is really about discovering our identity in Christ and, and, and helping us to understand that. Now today, this, this issue that Paul's going to talk about, and I'm going to kind of approach it a little differently than I have the last few weeks, is about the issue of God reconciling people to each other and to him. And, and the two groups that he talks about are the Jews and the Gentiles. And to really kind of describe the, the, uh, the kind of animosity there was between the Jews and the Gentiles, I kind of describe what the, how it was in that day in the temple. In the temple there in, in Jerusalem, there was, there was a temple, and, and you may have heard it described before, but basically the temple had several courts in it, several barriers in the temple. The very center of it was called the Holy of Holies. And that, the place there was some place that only the high priest could go once a year, and that was the only person. And then right next to that was a place where the other priests and the religious leaders could go. And outside of that was another room. Say, like, here was the Holy of Holies, and, and it was a place, and then there was another room out here where, where the, the priest and other regular priests, not your high priest, and rather could hang, hang out. And then a little bit further out that way was another place where Jewish men could go. Okay, just Jewish men, not Jewish women. Okay, just Jewish men. And then a little further out was another place where another barrier, and there was another place where Jewish women could go. And then way out there, probably out in the field somewhere out there, as far as you could go, there was another dividing wall, and out that was called the Court of the Gentiles. It was a place. They couldn't even get close to what was considered the place where God was. Uh, they were that far away. And that was, the, that was the dividing line, literally, between the Jews and the Gentiles, and there was a whole history there that caused that. And so Paul, when he starts talking about it, I would say that because that's what we're going to be talking about today, about this, this separation between these two groups of people and what it meant and what it means for us today. Um, Paul starts talking about in verse 11 the reality of what was, what was. And he says this, beginning with verse 11, he says this, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. That was a little commentary by Paul there on uh, some stuff, okay? And in those days, you were, verse 12, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So there's two groups that Paul talks about here. He talks about the Jews who consider themselves, they call themselves the circumcised. That was another word. It's kind of like a slang term for Jews. And, and another group was the Gentiles, and they were the uncircumcised. And there was only this true group. If you weren't a Jew, guess what category you fell into? The Gentiles. You were uncircumcised. You were the outsiders. You're the ones that's described as living in this world without God and without hope. That was, that was the differentiation here in Scripture. And this is what Paul said. That's what was before Christ came. That's what was. So in that day, apparently, there were some Jewish people who said, oh, hey, we're, circ we're the circumcised. That's a big badge of honor. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we wear our team shirts, right? Right, Carl, you wear, you know, you don't have it on today. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, usually every week, uh, Carl has something with the uh, Michigan State Spartans on it. When I was in Michigan up camp, I kept going by and seeing these big green S's on stuff. And I'm going, oh, Spartans, 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 you know. And then once in a while you see Michigan. I don't know what the deal is up there, you know. Uh, but obviously Spartans are a big deal up there. But um, and anyway, we had this, it was kind of a, a badge of honor. Now that, you know, circumcision is a little bit more than a badge of honor. It's actually a surgical procedure. But anyway, uh, the, deal, the deal that uh, it was talking about here is that they had this kind of thing. And this was one of the demarcations for which team you were on. You know, it's like, I'm circumcised, you're not circumcised, so we're on different teams. It's kind of like I told you about years ago, somebody called me, said I lived in Germantown Hills, and this person from Washington said, you're a metamoron. 
And I'm going like, well, that's not very nice. Uh, I didn't know that was supposedly a badge of honor here to be a metamoron, you know? And, uh, and you know, and I don't know what you call yourself in Washington, Washingtonians or something. I don't know what the deal is, but, you know, we, don't, we have this kind of deal sometimes where we kind of have ourselves this kind of like, who's on this team, who's on that team? And this is the thing that kind of differentiated the teams. And so often, though, when we see this as a, in culture or racial conflicts, we can be a little naive because you, you look at people like these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, they lived in the same area, and you go like, why can't you guys just get along? Why can't you guys just get along like the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland or the blacks and the whites in South, uh, uh, in South Africa or the, or, the, or, you know, or the different groups of people in Jerusalem? They're all living in the same city. Why can't you guys just get along? And if you're around people like that very long, what will happen is they'll start telling you their story. And it tends to go back in history. And here, as we trace the conflict between Jews and Gentiles here, I have to give you some background. We go all the way back to a guy named Abraham. All the way back to a guy named Abraham. And Abraham was one of the most important men in the history of the, of the world. And we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And what we find is that this conflict between Jews and Gentiles, in some ways, is an extended family feud that has been going on for thousands of years. Um, here was the situation. We go back. Abraham had two wives. And by the way, for, just so you know, that's one too many. Okay? Okay? It causes problems. Okay? Uh, the result was that he had two sons, one with each woman, and then the conflict was to ensue. And the, the big deal in that day was this. Who was to be considered the firstborn with the inheritance rights? That was the big deal. Now, we don't make quite as big a deal with it nowadays, but who was to have the inheritance rights, the family name, and the blessing which they felt that would come from God by being the firstborn? And so you had these two women, two sons, and a massive conflict. And to this day, the conflict between Christians and Jews and Muslims is in a large part a part of this family feud. What has happened has, is Christians and Jew, Jewish people will read the Bible and say, well, Abraham, his real wife was Sarah. And Sarah had a son in his name, <clears throat> excuse me, and Sarah had a son named Isaac, and he's the son of promise. And we see that in Scripture. And then, but, but those who are Muslims will come along and say, no, it's Hagar. Hagar was the real wife. He was, she was the first one to give birth. And it's not Sarah, and it's Ishmael, her son, that's the one that's the descendant of Abraham. And we inherit the promises, and Abraham is our father. And, that's, and the other side is the illegitimate side of the family. So there's this family feud that was going on. And, and so... The result was that in Scripture we read this, that Abraham decided and God told Abraham to circumcise himself and his household and began circumcising his descendants as an outward sign of an inward covenant with God uh, that, by the Holy, that, that would be fulfilled uh, with circumcision of the heart and the, by the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant in the New Testament. And so what we see that uh, you had this one side of the family, this other side of the family, this circumcised side, this uncircumcised side, but it all came from the same same father. It all started in the same place, which is interesting. But they had this huge feud. And here in the New Testament, Paul is talking about this group because it's a huge deal. So in this section of the scripture, the uncircumcised are the Gentiles. And they're called alienated. They're, uh, it was, it was saying, it said here that they have no hope. That's kind of the kind of the deal that they, they talks about here. And there was no way, if you knew these two groups and see them even today, there was no way in and of themselves that they could reconcile their hostility toward one another. They needed something outside themselves to do that. And, and Jewish leaders, matter of fact, I could, have gone, could go on and on and on about the history between these two groups. But Jewish leaders, you know, actually there were some Jewish leaders that said this about the Gentiles. He says, the only reason God made Gentiles was that he wanted kindling for hell. 
that's kind of a, you know, <laughs> that's kind of a tough deal, right? I mean, yeah, high view of another person, people group. Uh, and, and the hostility was so deep that if a Jewish man or woman came across a Gentile woman who was struggling to give birth, they were told not to assist her because you would be bringing another Gentile into the world. That's how harsh and how, how brutal the relationship was. And, and so let's say that a Jewish person fell in love with a Gentile person and they got married. A funeral would be held and that person would be considered dead by their family. It happens in other cultures in our world today. And so that's how the Gentiles were regarded by the Jews. The Jews were regarded, uh, referred to themselves as a circumcision. And, and, and they were kind of prone toward haughtiness and pride. And it's kind of interesting when I looked at this, uh, you know, they, they just say things, well, you know, God chose one man, our father Abraham, and all the prophets came from our family, and all the priests came from our family. Uh, and, and, uh, and the book, this book, is mostly about our family, you know, and... and um, we're good people, and if you want to consider, you know, if you want to consider joining us, you have to become Jewish. You have to go through all the things you, to become Jewish. You have to come through circumcision, diet, dietary laws, rules, all the things you have to, if you want to join us. You've got to be like us to be a part of us, and that's what they were, the kind of pride, prideful. Now, the interesting thing I read, if you read scriptures, there's no reason that the Jews should have been haughty or, or pr proud. Because when you look at the life of Abraham... Here's a guy who committed adultery and polygamy, and he gave his wife away twice. Go and read scripture. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, it's not like he had this amazing resume of sinlessness. There are some serious problems in this family, in, in, at least in the, the, the person who started the family. And you keep reading, reading, and God sends prophets to these people. And you know what they, they did to the prophets? The Jewish people sent to their prophets they were so proud about? Rep and they would say things like, the prophets would say, repent, you're in sin, it's wicked, I'm tired of it. He, he was rebuking them, and what they didn't repent, which is often the case, what would they do? They would end up murdering the prophets. Uh, that's the kind of family history this group has. I mean, what's to be proud about that? So, so it's not simply as saying the Gentiles are sinners and the Jews are holy. The only reason they were holy, and, and the word we talked about this last week means set apart, is because they were loved and forgiven by God. But God set them apart, not because of what they did. And if you trace it back far enough, you may not know this, uh, and, and if you're Jewish, there's, I doubt there's too many people that are Jewish here. There may be, I don't know. Um, you know, buckle your seat, but I'll tell you something. Abraham, if you go all the way back, his history, he was a pagan Gentile. He was a pagan Gentile. You know where he grew up? Where he was from? I'm sure it's a place you all know well, okay? It's called Ur of the Chaldees, right? You all, you all know where that's at? Anybody know where Ur of the Chaldees is? You know, sure, I know. Chris knows because he studied in seminaries. So. But the, the, the issue is, you know where Ur of the Chaldees was? It was in Babylon, and you know who resides in Babylon? Gentiles. Godless pagans. That's the description that, that the Jews call them. And so if you go all the way back and you, and you see this, you understand that's, how it, uh, that's who they descended from. So what's the deal with the pride? What's the deal with being haughty about that? And I mean, sometimes we can be a little proud and haughty about our own background. You know, sometimes people go like, well, I am some from this family. You know, if you live in a certain town and you're from certain families, uh, you know, it's like, well, they're the family that, you know. And so you get all proud because your grandpa did something or because, uh, because you know, you have some people in your line that did something. Well, let me, let me 
tell you a couple of truths. Truth number one is we trace our family line back far enough. Well, two things. Number one, if we're honest about our history and our family history, there's a lot, of, lot to be, we'll probably be embarrassed about, right? You know, if, 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 if I did what Abraham did, I would be your former pastor, right? Well, you know, I, this is my wife. This is my other wife. These are my two kids. I, I, I've, I gave away my wife twice, by the way, you know, and you would go like, no, 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 you're not our pastor, you're our former pastor, right? And now I don't know anybody in my background that did that, but I'm, I know there's some people in my background, in my family history, that I'm not really proud about. My wife's Scotch-Irish, and my, I'm more English, Scottish, whites, you know, and uh, the thing is, is that we have some drunks and some, and some uh, uh, people that's did some really bad, I'm not even going into it. There's some really bad people in our background. And if you go back very far, all of you will find somebody in your family background that you could probably not be uh, proud about. Number two, if you trace your family history back enough, we all come from a bunch of godless pagans. I mean, some of you don't have to do a lot of research. You just go to Christmas and you go like, let me introduce you to my dad. And you're, some of you are knowing exactly what I'm talking about, our Uncle Steve or something, you know. And you, and you just know about that, you know, in your family you have these kind of people. So here are the Jews and the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, and the Jews are circumcised. And he says it's hostility, there's a great conflict, and animosity that exists here. Well, then what happens? Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And now his first disciples are, guess what? They're Jewish, generally. His first disciples are Jewish, his first convents are Jewish, and the early church is largely Jewish. But as things, things spread, Gentiles, these, these uncircumcised, start getting excited about Jesus, and they want to come to know Jesus. And now we're in the New Testament, and all of a sudden, Gentiles are in large number converting to Christianity. And they love Jesus, and their sins are forgiven, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and all these things are happening. And what happens then is, there's questions that come, come before, before them. It says, what do, we, what do we do with all these Gentiles? Because when the Bible has existed, folks, when, when the, the Word of God has existed in one culture for a long time, and then people from another culture start worshiping the God of Scripture, things sometimes, questions arise. When I came here from the East Coast, now, I know that we're not hugely different on the East Coast, you know, in Virginia where I lived, we were, the, the religious climate was different. It really was. It was dominated on the East Coast by Southern Baptist and Southern Baptist and more Southern Baptist. Okay? And there was lots of, the, I mean, there was some other Methodists and some other people, but I hardly even knew, the, knew that the Catholic Church even existed on the East Coast, okay? Where I lived. I come here and there's a different religious and climate. I had never heard of apostolics until I came to, to this area. And, and then I, you know, I always had a group. I was saying the religious climate was different. But so I began to ask myself, okay, what is, come, what is really scriptural and what is from my own cultural context of growing up in a certain environment? And I started to ask myself, well, some of these things are, are cultural. Some of them are not even biblical. Not that they were wrong. They were just preferences I had. And so much of the New Testament and the epistles and the letters are answers to the questions that get raised by newly converted Gentiles. And so the case here is that you have a church with Jewish people and Gentile people all of a sudden, and they have some questions about what do we do? And the Jewish people are all simply saying things that we always say in churches. They'll say, well, just tell them to be Jewish. Just tell them to be Jewish. They want to join us? Tell them to be Jewish. Uh, tell all the guys to get circumcised. And the guys are like, well, are you sure? 
Um, we're not unwilling, but if there's an exception clause, we unanimously vote for it. Um, the whole book of Galatians is basically, to some degree, a debate about that one issue. Um, and the Gentiles are probably saying, well, we can just be Gentile believers in Jesus and junk all the Jewish stuff. And, and the Gent Jewish people are saying, no, it's in the book, and we, we do all that. So this is what Paul answers. This is the next part of Scripture. The reality of what is. The reality of what is. And he says in verse 13, he says, you know, this is what happened, this is what was, this is the way it was. But now, because Jesus has come, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So he did this by ending the system of the law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. Now, keep that in mind. It's not two people anymore. There's one new people created in Christ from the two groups. Verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. We live in a day where cultural diversity is like a big deal. And, and we kind of celebrate that. But Paul, or should I say God, the Holy Spirit through Paul, provides an answer about how do you divide, break down the dividing walls between people. And this is Paul saying, he said, this is what happens. He says, this, uh, he says, he creates in himself one new people from two groups. You see, the fight before this has been kind of a cultural fight. No, you guys, uh, the Gentiles are saying, you guys need to be like us Gentiles. And the Jews are saying, no, you guys need to be Jewish. But Paul comes along and says this. He says, no, you're neither Jews nor Gentiles. You're now one in Christ. You have a new identity. There's a, a third group, maybe, of people, and their identity is no longer uncircumcised Gentile or circumcised Jew. It is Christ reconciled together uh, as a new person. So there's this new group. There's this new category. There's this new people called Christian. And I was trying to figure out how to illustrate this, and I thought about the best way, and this may not be the best way I could think about it, but try to figure out how to tell you about this. It's kind of like a wedding. It's kind of like a wedding. You know, you have a bride and a groom, and they come together, and he doesn't join her family. He, she doesn't literally join his family. Together, they two become what? One. The two become one. It forms what? A new family. It's a new family. And, 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 they, and, and, the, and the new family has some elements and aspects of the former families, but it's totally new family. The two become one and they make a new family. It's kind of like that with Jesus. Jews and Gentiles are reconciled in Christ, people that are far, far apart, and they become one, the church, and they start a new family called Christianity. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. And so for the Jewish people who are going around trying to figure out, you know, what, trying to figure out, okay, our primary identity is in Christ and the Gentiles are our primary identity in Christ, you know, and they think, you know, the logical conclusion is we shouldn't be fighting about this stuff. We shouldn't be fighting about this stuff because we should be loving one another and figuring out what it means to be a new family if God is, in fact, our Father and Jesus is our saving big brother. 
And so Paul in this section of Ephesians, he, he t- talks about, he uses language, he uses the term brought near. He says you're brought near to each other. And he says, I always talk about this and I, most of the time when I think about it, I talk about it in a relationship when I do premarital counseling. I say, I draw a triangle sometimes. I haven't done this recently, but I used to do this all the time. I draw a triangle, and I put the bride and the groom on the bottom two corners of the triangle. And I say, you know, uh, and, and, and I tell us no matter who it is, I say, at the top is God. Okay, as you draw close to God, what does it do to you? Literally, figuratively. The triangle goes up like this, okay? That's how it works. You're closer to each other, Right? See, going close to God, and that's what it says, God is saying to us here, he said, you've been, through Christ, these two groups that are far apart, because they're drawn to Christ, are brought near to one another. They're brought near to one another. What that means is there is no front of the bus or back of the bus, no first and second class for Christianity, that God's a father who loves all his kids, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, Democrat, Republican. I said that, okay? He loves everybody equally. And he places the Holy Spirit in each of them, and they each have equal access to their dad. There's no wall of hostility anymore, God says. And he goes on to say that they become together like uh, they become together a dwelling place for God. That no longer does God live in a does God live in this place called the Holy of Holies. God now lives in the people of God, in a totally new way. So two things I would say about that coming out of the scripture: number one, old things may explain us, but they no longer have to define us. They may explain. You know, I'm a I grew up. Uh, uh, my identity is I'm Amer- an American. Okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, when I grew up, I was a Southern American, okay? Uh, I'm, I, I, I could go through the whole list of things, you know, the things that, that describe who I am. They, they explain me in a sense, you know, why I say certain terms and use certain words and, and talk certain ways and think certain things. They explain me, but they don't have to define me. Because in Christ, those differences that we all have, which is fine, those are no longer important. The thing is, is that what in Christ, we're defined as being in Christ, and that's the definition that draws us together. And that means our primary allegiance is in Christ, which means your primary allegiance is to those who are in Christ. Regardless if they live in Germantown Hills or Washington, Illinois, or Brazil, or I look around all the places that people, that, I mean, it doesn't matter. We're all in Christ. We may, be, we may have different cultural preferences, and that's, that's the other thing. There's a difference between, number two, there's a difference between cultural preferences and cultural prejudices. So often we have cultural pre- preferences. Yeah, guys, I, li- I don't like, if I'm going to drink tea, it cannot, it's got to have sugar in it, Okay. Now, I don't drink it anymore, but man, it's got to be southern sweet tea. You don't even know how to make it around here. It's horrible. You know, you just take a glass of, of cold tea and throw sugar in it. Oh, no, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. If you go to the south, you know, you, you, the, the default tea in the south is what? Sweet tea. And when it's warm and hot, it's being made. You put the sugar in it, it dissolves in there. And so it, 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 it just, it, it feel, it's, I just love it, talking about it. It's so great, you know. <laughs> and some of you look at me like, oh, sweet tea. Oh. Almost everybody that's been, been to my house over the years for small groups and we had sweet tea always ask for sweet tea when they come back. Converted, you see. 
No longer do you have that preference. You have a new preference. Your, your taste buds have been cultured. <laughs> but see, we have these preferences, you know? I mean, we do. We have these cultural preferences. That is fine. But the problem is sometimes, and the problem that happened with the Jews and the Gentiles was, is that they become those cultural preferences, become cultural prejudices. Meaning that unless you become like me and do what I do, then you can't be, we can't have fellowship. We can't connect with one another. And Paul was saying here, in Christ, that all changes. That all changes. And then he said, goes on further in this passage, and I'm not really going verse by verse. I'm kind of looking at sections here. And, and he says, You're, you and God are reconciled in Christ as well. Um, it's mind-bending to me that you look at all the history and the complexity and acrimony between the Jews and the Gentiles, and it's amazing that Jews and Gentiles can walk side by side. But last, a couple of years ago over at Northwoods, I was at a conference there. I was there, and there was a guy who's a Palestinian, former, uh, he was a former um, hitman for Yasser Arafat, and a, guy, a Jewish man, Standing side by side on the same stage, guess what they do now? They work together to win Jews and, Gentile, uh, Jews and Palestinians to Christ. I mean, how does that happen? How does that happen? Because they're now in Christ. The cultural identities is not about being a Palestinian or being Jewish. Yeah, they have those, they grew up that way. But now their identity is in Christ, and it draws them together. And, and that's pretty amazing that God could reconcile them. But it's even more amazing, not only does God in Christ reconcile Jew and Gentile, but God in Christ reconciles God and sinner. We talked about this last week. You think about the differences between us and God. You're going like, oh, I'm, just, I'm creating his image. I'm just like God. Well, no, 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 no. Let's stop a minute, okay? Okay. He's creator. What are you? Created. He's holy. That means perfect. You are sinner, okay? Imperfect. He is infinite. We're finite. We've sinned against God, and the result is that there is a hostility between us and God. And we say, well, I don't feel that way. The reason is that because you're not the victim. God's the victim. We're the ones who sinned against him. And it's always the one, that's, the offended party always is the one who experiences the hostility. The offender doesn't seem to think it's a problem, but the offended knows that it is. And it's, it's our, in our relationship with God. He's the offended party. We've sinned against him. Psalm 51.5 says, against you only, Lord God, have I sinned. And we have to admit to ourselves, that this is one of the things we talk about before you can come to Christ. You have to admit you're a sinner. And we're all sinners by nature and choice. We've rebelled against God. We've declared uh, war against God. And God, who is holy, has a serious problem with us. And if he didn't, he would cease to be God. And how is our relationship going to be reconciled? We can't change it. He already said that we were without hope. That means that if we are to save ourselves, we have no hope. But that's what he said in verse 15 and 16. He said, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles, recreating himself one new people from the two groups, together as one body. Christ, Christ reconciled both groups to whom? First, to God. He reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. It's because we come to Christ that, that it enables us to have the possibility of being reconciled with people that are far different than we are. 
So let me explain this. God, because of sin, knows that there is a wall of hostility between us. It's a wall that we've built ourselves. And so God, who lives in heaven, and we live down here, he lives in a holy place, we live in an unholy place. He lives where there is no sin. We live in a place where there's, it's filled with sin. He lives in a place where there is no death. We live in a place where death is a reality. We have built, we have built a wall, and we have spiritually lived our lives separate, apart from God. And God comes as Jesus Christ. God becomes a man. The creator enters creation. The spirit who made all, uh, who made all things adds to his, to his spirit human flesh and goes from heaven to earth and he goes from being worshipped to being hated, and he goes from living a life of affluence to a life of poverty. And Jesus is God coming over that wall that we have built. It is God coming to seek and to save that which is lost. It's a rescue mission. We talked about that last week. And what he does is he lives without sin. He declares himself to be God. He goes through all the things. So if you're in Christ and your faith is in Christ, he died in your place. And God is no longer one who has hostility towards you but it's not because of what we did. It's because of what he did. And finally, we come to the last few verses. And it's interesting here because I kind of struggle with these last few verses because as you look at the outline already, it's kind of like God, it's talking about, okay, the verse two verses talking about what was. And it's the almost the exact same outline in the first half of the chapter we looked at last week. And then it talked about what is because of what Christ has done. And so the last part, really, the reality of what could be, in a sense, is the way I looked at it. The reality of what could be, verses 19 through 22. Let me read this and talk about it just for a minute, then we'll be closing. It says, now, what happened, God, what God did through all these things, he brought down the barriers. He says, this is in verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. See, the problem was in the past, he said, was that we saw that we could not have access to God because the closest we could possibly get to God was where? In the Jewish system, the Holy of Holies was here. The priests could come in once a year and kind of be close to God. The other priests were far away, a little bit farther away. And the, and the further away you were, the further you felt alienated from God. You had no access to him. But then when Jesus Christ came, God dwells in him. And for the first time, people could touch God in a real sense. They had access to God in that day. But it was very limited because Jesus could only be at one place at one time. But when he leaves, what does he do? Jesus says, I am not leaving you an orphan. He said, I am leaving you with something that's even better than me. And they're going like, better than Jesus? He goes, yes, my Holy Spirit. And where's the Holy Spirit going to dwell? Not in a temple. Not in a house. Not in a holy of holies. This Holy Spirit is going to be dwell where? In his people. In his people. And for the first time in history, we not only have limited access to God, we have full access to God because his spirit lives in us. That's what Paul is saying. And so this is a reality of what can be. He says, no longer do you have to be foreigners and strangers. You, you're citizens of God because God, once you say yes to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself 
through his spirit, God himself, through his spirit comes and dwells in you. He dwells in you. And because of that, we have the potential for the first time to be able to not be people who are alienated from people. I, I mean, folks, we have to get over this thing where we get so prideful of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a, this kind of Christian, you know, and I don't, I don't do this, but, you know, but they do that, and so they can do their thing over there. And, you know, I mean, you know, we get all, because of preferences. Preferences. It's, it has nothing to do. The thing is, in Christ, we have access to God. And he says, now, Gentile, Gentile anyone can, can be part of the, of the family of God. And so all these people are part of the family of God. And he uses the language of the temple here. And he's telling the Jews and the Gentiles, and they're probably thinking, well, I need to go to a temple to worship. No, you're the temple. You're the temple. It's not a temple built by human hands. Um, it's a temple where God is present with you at all times. You have access to God at all times. And because of that, because of that, and this is why I say, in a sense, I, I see it as the reality of what could be. We have the potential of living at peace with everybody. Not because of us, but because of who God is. I don't know where you struggle in your life with prejudice. I'll just tell you this, all of us are prejudiced in some ways, and it comes out every once in a while. Probably a lot of it has to do with our upbringing, or where we live, or something. But we look at people, and we look at it, and we sometimes look down on people, because they're different. And God doesn't want us to do that anymore. He wants us to realize that everyone, everyone, is created in his image. And because of that, they have worth. In our world today, sometimes, I mean, some of us in America who are Christians, and I, and I struggle with this too, okay? When we hear the word Muslim, what do you think of? Radical extremist. And I know that's not always true. Or if you grew up in a certain place, and, you, and, and, and if you grew up in a place in certain areas, it, it was the issue of blacks and whites. Because of cultural differences. But God says we have the potential because of what he has done through Jesus Christ. We have the potential of being reconciled, being at peace with everyone. Now, it's not happened yet. It's not happened yet. But I believe that's part of the biblical message because the people that have changed the world and, and gotten rid of slavery, and got rid of so many things, was because they were biblically based people who understood that this is a part of who God made them to be. And sometimes it's not even as far out as, as needing to be reconciled to people. Maybe it's somebody with even in your own family you need to be reconciled with. You know, some of us, the toughest people we have to, to love or even like might be somebody that uh, reside, resides uh, in our family. But God says because, because, because of him coming into our lives and living in us for the first time, we can be reconciled with anybody. And he just used the Jews and the Gentiles here as an example. 
So today, as we close, I just want to ask you this question. Think about the person that you need reconciliation with, that you need to be at peace with. And ask yourself, how could I let God work in my life to draw me to a place where I can be a person of peace and bring people together toward with him? See, it's in Christ that we do that. And so I don't know about you guys, but the, the book of Ephesians is an pra- incredibly practical book because... It has to do with us being, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There's no other way that we can find the peace that we need in a world that's broken. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your book and what it has to say to us. I would pray that we would um, examine this. God, I mean, I struggle with this this week because there's so much to talk about, but the one thing that's true here I see more than anything else is what was and what is and what could be is all because you have changed it, God. You, you took the, the animosity of two people groups and you broke the barriers down. And then you did, did for us what we could not do for ourselves, God. And, you, and in Christ we can be drawn together with anybody, God anybody but also God the thing is is it has to be in Christ that it has to work God we can have peace conferences and we can have resolutions and we can have uh, laws that try to force peace but that's not going to happen until people's hearts are changed by you so God the greatest message that we could proclaim the greatest thing that we could do for our world is to help people to know you. And as they know you, God, to be reconciled with you, then to be reconciled with one another. We pray, God, that this would happen throughout the world and wherever there is hostility between people. Guide us this morning, God, as we go from this place, that as we go out in the world this week, and if we have conflicts that we will resolve to, to uh, depend upon you, God, to uh, make the changes that need to be made. Because it's only through your Holy Spirit living in people's lives that things can change, God. Once again, God, thank you for your word and what it has to say to us. Thank you for the reality of the fact that, that, that even groups as hostile as Jews and Gentiles could be brought together and work side by side if they will, become, if they will focus their attention and have a relationship with you, God. I thank you for that. And in this world, God, uh, we have so much need of that today around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.